And this is how it starts. <laughs> Great. We're here. Very informal. Hi, Tins. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Um, Tins, won't you... Uh, wel- oh, welcome to Ben Does What He Wants, a podcast. We're doing another late-to-the-party edition. Uh, I am Ben Schlofeld. I'm often reminded that I ought to introduce myself because I fail to do that sometimes. Uh, with me is Matt Tins. Tins, you want to introduce yourself? Your last name's not actually Tins, but... Uh, <laughs> You roll with it. Get, yeah, tell I, us roll, a little about it I roll with it enough. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm Matt Herza, or her Tins, as uh, a solid handful of my my uh, good friends know me as. That's all I've ever known you as, so. <laughs> uh, I am uh, an improviser uh, and musician about town. I run the physics lab at a community college out in the Chicago suburbs. Uh, and that uh, is a pretty comprehensive overview of my yeah, life, I think. Yeah, that's, that's, if that's what you want people to know, Oh, absolutely. That's what they know. Yeah. Right. So, thank you. Welcome. Uh, before we begin, um, before I start reading on this thing, do you have any plugs, any shows coming up, anything you'd like to promote? I. Uh, it's been a quiet winter. I've got a project or two uh, brewing right now that I'm, I'm not quite ready to announce yet, but the, uh, the one thing that I've got going right now that is current is I am uh, writing and... Uh, recording all of the music for a D&D uh, real play podcast uh, released by my buddy Logan Dean. Uh, the podcast is called Low, L-O-W, um, and it's uh, a bunch of fun. I get to experiment with a bunch of different musical styles. And they, they record their uh, D&D campaigns. Yeah, yeah. That's, Man, uh, that's that's the thing to do right it's a now. Ve- yeah, very, very popular uh, style of, of D&D podcast I is mean, the actual play podcast. Uh, af- I think the episode will have been released before this one, but uh, Brooklyn and I just played our first campaign not too long ago. That's right, that's right. And we recorded a good three hours of our first campaign. So, uh, and it's it's... It's actually very fun for me to listen to what I did, what we did, mm-hmm. uh, helps me remember all the stuff that I could, I was so easily would have forgotten otherwise. Uh, but I think it's a strange thing for, it, it feels like Twitch when people like watch huh. people play games and all, or like people listen to other people play D and D. It seems like this, uh, I would rather be playing the game. Sure. I'd rather be, or in the other case, playing the game, but. Some people really enjoy it. There's a market for it. Other and shrug. Who am I to say if people are making money off this stuff? I mean, it's an improv exercise, basically. <laughs> absolutely, so absolutely. It, you know, there's certainly a market for people that want to watch people improvise. And if you can put a weird set of rules on it and yep. give everyone a goofy character and have them roll with it, all the better. And, I mean, and it really encouraged me to 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 lean into a voice because, uh, like, I can imagine playing the game without a, a microphone and just kind of like. Uh, you know, I'm my character voice. This is it, and this is my normal voice. But like, I really want to put on a show because I know I, I'd like to think that people are going to listen to it. <laughs> Anywho, fair. so you're doing music for a podcast mm-hmm. for a D and D podcast, mm-hmm. uh, and this should this should come out around mid February, mid to late February. Okay, cool. So if if anything else comes up, I can tag it in the description if you want people to know then. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, re- release dates are uncertain right now, yeah. so we'll see. Yeah, everybody keep, uh, like, what about, you? do you have a social media platform? I do, platform? I do have a social media people platform. People can maybe check that. Yeah, uh, it's, <laughs> right now it's it's mostly uh, just me uh, doing uh, politics and D&D shitposting and some order depending on the day uh but i'm on twitter at tins rules that's t-i-n-z-r-u-l-e-s tins rules mm-hmm. get at it all right so here we go we talk about star trek yeah yeah we star are trek. so i'm gonna do some reading this is uh this is my favorite part and i'm reading straight from a page so don't get all like that doesn't sound conversational it's it's not but you can make a conversation. Shall I in- interject? Feel free okay. to chime up with like, because the thing is, I don't talk about what actors play, which care. So maybe you'll want to say like Leonard Nimoy, William Shatner, uh, all the others. So Star Trek is an American space opera media franchise, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> Good first sentence of Wikipedia, I was <laughs> going to say. That's pretty much it. Uh, created by Gene Roddenberry in 1966. The original television series ran for three seasons and spawned numerous books, 
novels, magazines, seven spin-off television series, two of which are in early production, toys, games, and 13 movies altogether, garnering $10 billion or so, uh, making Star Trek one of the most lucrative franchises in in history. Yeah, it sounds like a, sounds like a pretty big existence. fandom when you put it that way. I mean, it, it, we'll get into it a little bit later in the history here, but like it... It was one of those things that I wasn't into at all when I was young, but mm-hmm. you, but you couldn't help but notice it kind of everywhere in the '90s. Especially, they had three shows in the '90s at about concurrently at a two, point. Two were concurrent. You've done your research more uh, more recently than I, I am. did. No, like I thought, I thought they were three at the same time. I mean, syndicated, probably they were probably mm. showing reruns. That's of, fair. of several of them at the same time, um, but. As far as new episodes being released, two were running concurrently. Ben, I believe you. All right. Well, you, we'll get it. I, I sound like I know what I'm talking about. Roddenberry pitched the show to producers as Wagon Train to the Stars. Wagon Train being a long-running Western program. But secretly, he was basing the show on Jonathan Swift's Gulliver's Travels. I will, I will say... <laughs> I have heard that wagon train to the stars thing. I feel like that is in every uh, documentary, every book, every article you ever read about the origin of Star Trek. Oh, and yeah. I, I do not have any concept of what wagon train is. Other than I assume it's some sort of Western. Yeah, uh, that's I did not Oregon do any research sort of on thing. that. But like, because I, I assume the same thing, like it's a Western. And so it's going to be people instead of it being a caravan. It's yeah. a spaceship. I just find it interesting that that quote has persisted, even though the the other data point has become, for yeah. all intents and purpose, purposes, lost to history. If, if anything, Wagon Train is probably only talked about anymore in reference to the origin of Star Trek. I Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, and I've never seen... I had never heard of Wagon Train before I read the Wikipedia article about Star Trek. <laughs> so, so there you have it. Uh, take that, Wagon Train. Uh... Gulliver's Travels, where characters get into adventurous morality tales. Ron Berry saw, uh, got away with uh, most of his of these ideas of diplomacy, anti-war, anti-violence, acceptance, etc., um, because he could easily sneak them by the censors due to its science fiction setting. Uh, he stated, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, he stated that all they were really concerned about was cleavage. They had a person who'd come in to measure women's cleavage, and if that was appropriate, everything else just slid through. So hmm. some some person, I don't think it was their only job, but I imagine there was a person, like, I can just see it with a little yeah. tape measure. Cleavage Three uh, inches, assistant. it's okay. And, but then, because he just, he was very concerned with, um, he was against the war in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Like he was uh, all about, like I said, di- diplomacy, peace, um, curiosity. Um, yeah, th- I think that's that's one of the, the really interesting things about, especially original Trek is the creators um the creators philosophies and worldview is is right there out on his sleeve yep <laughs> and <coughs> excuse me bah, bah. um it slid through so uh the show ended up being revolutionary in its progressive stances towards many issues at the time um it was one of the first television shows to have an entire not entirely interracial but have an interracial cast mm-hmm. at all um once the show was picked up, the first season was profitable for a time, but began to lose audiences and money very quickly, eventually getting its time slot changed and its budget cut. After the first threat to cancel after its first season, the world first hears of Star Trek's greatest legacy, its fans. Hey, that's me. <laughs> that's you. Um, there was a strong petition started by uh, its very outspoken fan base to keep the show going, and it was successful at first, and the show remained on for three seasons. However, no amount of signatures could save it, and it was canceled in 1969. It's an interesting point, too. I, I forgot about that. It was revived via a letter-writing campaign, yep. which seems... It, it seems so so antiquarian, so quaint, um, but n- now you, it's it's... Every show, every popular show on TV now that gets canceled, it you've it's basically revived it in 24 hours. I mean, if it's Arrested revived Development, all. Community, like mm-hmm. all these shows. Nine that, Nine. nine it's, God, that's right. I forgot mm-hmm. about that too. Because that's on NBC now. It is. It's back and better than ever. Is it? Yeah, it's good. Really? Okay. It hasn't. It hasn't lost a beat. I have not. I've seen about 15 minutes of one episode. I just. It's one of those shows like. 
it's there. I hear. I hear it's fine. Just I, never got into it. Oh man! And not, not out of like I don't like the show. Sure, I just yeah. never have started it. And you, I presume you have at least a passing familiarity with The Office and Parks and Rec. Oh yeah, I've seen. I've seen all of Parks and Rec. I gave up on, on The Office after the fourth season, like most Probably people for the did. Best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My wife Courtney and I are are working through it again, and we, I think we may have just gotten to the fifth season. Uh, and we're we're prepared to be pretty bored yep. with our our second view. I yeah I, I there was a time I think it, the moment the whole will they won't they thing kind of started to fizzle out with mm-hmm. Pam and um, who was his face yeah Jim Jim <laughs> Jim <laughs> uh, Jimmy Jim Jim Jimmy um, yeah just like uh, and I think then that became kind of the joke of a lot of shows like once the 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 tension of whatever got you into it in the first place kind of fades off. Then it's like, well, it's just Mike, not Mike. What's his name again? The boss. Michael. Michael. You, it is Mike. You were, yeah, you were correct, I guess. A little a little informal. <laughs> um, it, just, it just became like uh, how outlandish were, were him and Dwight's antics and how, how mm-hmm. cringeworthy and how much you could stand. Like that's that's what it became to me. And just No, I'd, I'd less... say that's totally fair. And I would, um, I would argue that uh, Mike Schur's next show, Parks and Rec, f- figured out a lot of those yes. problems and was able to course correct and um, understand that it, you know, if a, a character arc or a relationship arc is going a certain way or is starting to wrap up, they they've been they they've seen these things um, happen before, so they they knew where the roadblocks and the pitfalls. I do were. like looking at the arc of how of the how the shows were honed from like the British office yeah. to the American office to Parks and Rec and how I think they really nailed it with Parks mm-hmm. and Rec. Well, and and it does the exact same from Parks and Rec to uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine. It does a kind of a similar uh, thing of kind of evolving that that Is genre. It the same showrunner. Yeah, oh, it's, I uh, or, or show creator. I, I forget exactly what uh, Mike Schur's position uh, on these shows are. A creative yeah. person who is involved in, the, in the, all those shows. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of further uh, refined the goofy workplace comedy from there. Mm. And from there, I don't know if you've seen The Good Place. Um, uh, we, we've started The Good Place. Okay. Everybody will not shut up about the good place. Yeah, well, that's because it's, it's a the best very show good ever. show, man. Apparently, we, I just need to watch like like five <laughs> episodes to really get into it or something like that. But it does sort of um, sort of loop back to uh, Star Trek, just in the the idea that this, that a, a creator was able to do multiple shows, not necessarily in the exact same universe like Star Trek, but to be able to have a few shows on the air, sometimes at the same time, yeah. uh, Learning de- from mistakes. He was and, dead by that point, though. Uh, he was, yeah. That mm, he died in ninety one. And okay, so yeah, next gen had already been on for a season or two, right? Yeah, next gen like started in eighty seven. Yeah, uh, but nice segue into Janeway. We'll keep going. <laughs> you like how I? You like how I, I put that train back on hey, the tracks? I, I appreciate it because this is <laughs> this is we ain't talking about the office. Uh, after its cancellation, to recoup recoup the show's losses, it was syndicated. And by the late 70s, the show was airing in 150 domestic markets and 60 international markets, increasing its cult following. The first Star Trek convention was in 1972 in New York, and they have been going on every year in the U.S. and internationally ever since. You said 72? 72. So the show had only been off for, the show had been canceled for three years, but it was syndicated by that time. Yeah, the convention culture of any sort of nerdy fandom couldn't it couldn't have possibly been that robust right that must have been one of the first major uh pop culture cons i, I, mean, I would there guess was not I, I imagine as well like because you're you have no internet to to make this these things happen easily and efficiently so i have to imagine it was like a you planned six months ahead or something like that got a convention center because i didn't find a whole lot of information on the first star trek convention well um, yeah and unless somebody's there taking detailed yeah. notes and keeping records why would you have access to that and also info? i feel like if i started going down that rabbit hole it, it, there really is a plethora of knowledge on not knowledge of information on star trek like yeah. and, and and not just because you could you could do a whole podcast like you could have been late to star trek fan fiction and we could have done a whole podcast on star trek fan fiction alone yeah. like um speaking of fans um, here we go. Here we go. Back to the uh, copy. Right. 
with the show's renewed success, there was an attempt to bring it back. In 1973, the Star Trek animated series ran for 22 episodes um, on NBC, earning the franchise's only Best Series Emmy Award. Which is interesting, because <laughs> though I have not seen any of the animated series, I hear that it is garbage. I've heard that too, but... It got an Emmy. Yeah, people uh, love cartoons. Hey, that's why they're always getting Emmys. Those, <laughs> and it aired <laughs> on Saturday mornings. Well, what better time? You I know? mean, I, it. That's I think that's unheard of it, it, since the '90s. Like, when has you know did did Rugrats ever win? Actually, maybe they did win Emmys. I don't even know. It's possible. I don't know. I don't know. I wonder. Yeah, I wonder where or hmm. if there's a different like. I mean, because it sounds like this one was competing against other 30 minute uh television shows so this this would have been out i don't know Gunsmoke or something like that for an emmy is <laughs> yeah, wait, are you suggesting it would <coughs> the emmy was between Gunsmoke and star trek the animated series uh, maybe <laughs> well i guess they yeah they wouldn't have had a separate category for animated probably not i mean i don't know how big of uh, a market animation would have been in i mean there were there were animated shows obviously it's like if yeah if, but if yeah, they but... made star trek the cartoon show they're they're like there would have been a market, right? True. Yeah, I guess at that point, the yeah, most cartoon shows were kind of put together uh, on the cheap to placate children. Well, Hanna, like it was, it wasn't. I, I can just all I can think of is Hanna Barbera. Like, yeah. would, have, would have ruled that that period. Like, it would have been Scooby Doo's and C Labs and and yeah, and that's for and, the most part, you know, and, and of course like the Flintstones. And that's for the most, but yeah, Flintstones aside, you're talking mostly seven to twelve minute. Uh, little little episodes, little yeah, stories. Yeah. So even even just a half hour of animated television uh, at that point, I would imagine is uh, you know was quite a feat. And ex- I I I, can't, I <laughs> expensive. It's probably expensive too, because they well actually having never seen it, it may be cheap as hell looking. It I, may be on the, the the same in the same boat as the Hanna Barbera because that stuff was cheap. Yeah, I, I have seen I've seen a few clips and yeah, it it is definitely cheap not a whole you know a pretty slow frame rate uh i would say but but again you're you're what was that on the air for three seasons or something two like seasons, that two, two seasons they had, uh, it was 12 uh, 11 episodes per season or something like that they had 22 episodes total and it ran from 73 to 74 22 episodes is still you know that's 11 hours of animated footage yeah. back mm-hmm. you know before uh computers could splice that together more easily or we could just send it off to the koreans to to do all the work that yeah were they not doing that at that point i oh, actually i don't I know it was a thing in the '90s. It was that's what everybody did in the '90s, and mm-hmm. that was the joke of the '90s. Was we we don't do anything in here. It's all it's all done in Korea, and it was true, it, from my understanding. <laughs> um, speculation over for now, but I'm sure we'll get back to that in a little bit. Um, Emmy Award in 1979, the first Star Trek movie was released based on the pilot for what would have been the second live action series, Star Trek: Phase Two. So oh, they, I forgot about this. They were going to make the show Phase 2, uh, but Paramount Television Studio went belly up, mm-hmm. and so the project fell. So they just took the pilot episode of the script, and they expanded it into what became Star Trek the movie. That's right. That's, um, that's and that interesting. And came out in 79. Um, boop, boop, boop. And it did just well enough in the box office to permit a sequel. Star Trek The Wrath of Khan was released in 1982 and grossed less money but cost less money to make so it made more of a profit for the studio <laughs> that's interesting from a historical perspective too like I, I can't imagine in this day and age there are that many sequels that cost less to produce yeah. than than their original counterparts it's usually like if it didn't make the kind of money they wanted they they, they wouldn't greenlight a sequel yeah they exactly do it. but Times have changed, Tins. Oh, the fan. It was all about the fans. fans. So, so many fans. They wrote so many letters. A whole convention full of fans. <laughs> dollar, dollar bill. Um, with the film, uh, wait, after Khan's success, Paramount would release four more films, a total of six from 1979 to 1991. Uh, with the films doing well, Paramount... Oh, I skipped a sentence. Uh, That's okay. Wrath, I, I forgive you. <laughs> Wrath of Khan was the last film that Roddenberry had a say in he lost all creative he had to give up creative control after the wrath of Khan. so all the movies from three to six um he was not affiliated with but he was for a number of those years developing and working on the next generation Hmm. um with film doing well paramount took another stab at a television series the next generation 
Instead of it being a network show, it was released in first-run syndication, making it more accessible to more uh, markets. So you could, it, it, I always equate it to like franchising a subway. You you own <laughs> this. You buy a you buy the rights to sell Subway's products, and you can do it from wherever you want. Mm -hmm. um, instead of it having to be in like uh, I don't know a Barnes and Noble or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like they so mark like channels could buy the first run episodes of starch yeah. of, of next generation and air them whenever they want. Uh, yeah. As opposed to now when I believe the standard is still a show has got to hit a hundred episodes and then uh, other, other networks. Yeah, I've never, I have not heard of first air syndication. This is the first time I'd ever even heard that term. Before. Yeah. I remember I'm my, most of my, uh, most of my deep knowledge is going off of a boy. I wish I, could remember the name of the book it's a it's a two volume book it's probably like 700 800 pages about the f first 50 years of star trek oh wow mm -hmm. and I did, I, not, I, I did not read this book for yeah. this, this research <laughs> i i read uh in the second volume i read up to the second volume up through about halfway through voyager which is currently where i am uh stalled in my in my grand watch of, of all trek there's a lot out there. It's, no, there's it uh, is daunting. I have been reading this and and uh, writing this, researching this, and it's 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 probably why. So my sister's a big trek trekhead, and you know she goes to Riverside. Uh, <laughs> they call trek them trekkies. I I did the research. I knew that, and I call you're them thinking of Star Wars. They call them warheads. <laughs> Duh! Oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> the next generation was so successful. It spawned an early spinoff in 1993, Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. While it was never as popular as uh, The Next Generation, or TNG is what I'm going to be calling it for now. That's fine. Uh, it did well enough to last seven seasons. Of course, TNG also lasted for seven seasons. Uh, so take that as you will. Uh, shortly after TNG ended, Paramount released Voyager, this time on a network, UPN which was the United Paramount Network. Right, it was on a totally different network. How wild is that, that there they, were different shows within the same universe sharing a lot of uh, the creative team, mm -hmm. uh, in some cases, a lot of the writers and directors and, and actors. whatnot. Yeah, and taking them to completely different networks. That's wild. Again, something I could never in a million years contemplate happening today. No, I mean, you, you, you would, like... Actually, they kind of still are doing that with Star Trek. I'll, well, I'll get to that in a little bit. All right. Like, All but, right. Yeah. So, but UPN and it was the the Voyager was uh, UPN's flagship program. Like they were starting, right. they were starting this network, and and that was going to be their money maker. Voyager was going to bring all the money in. Um, Star Trek. How'd that go for them? I, I mean, how are they doing? Well, not great now, but at the time, like. Uh, Star Trek reached peak saturation in the mid '90s with two concurrent TV shows, mm, there which, it is. which was Voyager and, and Deep, Deep Space, Space Nine. Nine. Yeah, uh, and three out of the four Next Generation movies released in '94, '96, and '98. That's a lot of work in the '90s. That's a, a ton of Star Trek in the '90s. At this point, and actually er earlier than this, even in the '80s, Paramount had been calling Star Trek the "quote unquote" the franchise. It was their moneymaker. Uh, since it was their greatest money-making asset and funded in nearly all of their other projects for over a decade. Like, they would, when they were low on money, it sounds like they would just release a Star Trek movie. Jeez. And that would, I guess, make enough money for them. Even though I, I do not associate Star Trek at all with money-making. With profitability. Yeah, like, even though it clearly has done well. Like, and just because I wasn't buying the merch or mm -hmm. watching the shows... A lot of people were. Yeah, and I, again, I I have no frame of reference as to the. It's it's just as baffling to me because uh, I I didn't get into this throughout my entire childhood. Nobody I knew was a Trekkie. Like my my one of my best friends when I was growing up, his mom was a bit of a Trekkie, and so like I had this this passing familiarity with with the idea of it. And also, we didn't live that far from Riverside, Iowa, which is where captain Kirk, james t kirk was born oh i see um so there's the big a big trek fest is there every year that makes so it's sense. Uh, a big deal for a lot of people in eastern iowa i guess um so voyager lasted seven seasons as well mm -hmm. uh and after that we have enterprise a prequel to the original series and like the original series did not do well 
and required fan intervention to save it. And like the animated series, I have not seen it, though I hear it is bad. That's the Scott Bakula one, right? Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, he ruined the franchise, according to Futurama. Um, <laughs> That's right. Once again, and once again, that only helped for so long. Enterprise was canceled in 2005, ending Star Trek's 18-year run on television. That's crazy. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty, pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And then, for a long time, nothing happened. <laughs> uh, until uh, the J.J. Abrams, uh, the re- he rebooted the franchise in 2007. Paramount had approached him. Uh, actually, appro- so, well, actually, though many attempts were made before that, including Babylon 5 creator Michael Straczynski and director Brian Singer had all approached Paramount like, we should bring Star Trek back. Um, and they weren't successful. However, Paramount was more keen to let uh, the show be reinvented by uh, JJ, and he had a, a couple writing uh, writing partners who aren't as famous. So you look them up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, put in the work. You know you want to. In May 2009, the 11th Star Trek film was released, simply titled Star Trek. This film and its sequels are set prior to the original series, though in a different timeline called the Kevlin timeline. That is why I, you know, I think it, I don't think it was until uh, Star Trek colon into darkness that I realized that this was not merely a hard reboot, but, but technically like a a splintering off into a parallel universe, which totally makes sense. That's an, that's an on brand Star Trek thing to do. It's just, it's a a ballsy move. I mean, and it it paid off like a lot. Of, yeah. So like because and we'll talk more about like this gave the new release freedom from the rest of the conical franchise works. Uh, the film was a commercial and critical success, uh, and adjusting for inflation, had the highest box office gross of any Star Trek film up to that point, and actually still since then. Like uh, the the two sequels did not make as much money as Star Trek. Oh no, kidding! Into Darkness didn't beat the box office. No, of the- it did wow. not. It did it did fine, but it did not. Uh, beat the original um they released two more in the kev kevlin timeline star trek into darkness uh and star trek beyond currently star trek discovery is running on cbs's subscription platform and and it was the the subscription platform was relying heavily on the popularity of star trek discovery to really boost the the profitability of the the cbs subscription service which i guess yeah. is like cbs is netflix or cbs all access well i'll tell you well, i'll tell you yeah it ain't working on me you're not paying for that <laughs> not get, currently i'm not can, paying 7.99 a month for a single show which is how i look at it yeah because what else is the you know I, cbs i don't in general i don't think it's really our demographic of, uh, of everybody loves raymond yeah <laughs> big bang is on it Oof. um sorry I guess. Um, <laughs> so currently started. Blah, 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 okay, uh, CBS is. Um, there are three Star Trek projects in the works too. Picard, which is just Captain Picard's adventures twenty years after the Next Generation. What? That's in the works. T- it, TV or film or do tele- you know? television? Huh? It, uh, it, I don't. That's it's one of those things that's floating around. It's in pre-production, uh, and and they got. Uh, Patrick Stewart on board for it apparently. Again, this is all on no Wikipedia. Kidding. Like, I'm, I'm, I imagine it'll be a short series, probably mm-hmm. something like that. Um, uh, Lower Decks, which is an adult animated comedy created by Mike McMahon, uh, who is one of the head writers for Rick and Morty. So they're working on that show right oh, now. Oh, that's too. interesting. Yeah. So it's 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 uh, the um, yeah the show focuses on a crew of the least successful ship in Starfleet. Um, so it almost reminded me, having never seen a single episode of it, but what's the name of that, uh, uh, McFarlane show that looks just like Star Trek? Oh, uh, the Orville. Orville. Which I hear, but I hear it's terrible. I hear, uh, I hear it's okay, but what I hear is it's not that, it's not like a raucous comedy. It is kind of, sort of, just a Star Trek clone, which... Uh, cool. I guess he, I know he's a big he's a big fan of Trek. So yeah. cool. If if the dude can uh, write a semi or uh, participate somehow in a semi successful show that uh, that uh, pays homage to it, maybe that's why I heard it sucked. It. Is that it's not funny? Maybe it's it's it doesn't it didn't deliver on expectations. Perhaps. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. I, I you know they got themselves a second season, so I don't know. 
What do I, I, I know? I always, I always uh, typically write off a first season uh, of a show. I do a lot of, um, I do a lot of of binging on Netflix and Hulu and whatnot. I you go, do that too. I do, but <laughs> I, I do, I, uh, I try and go back and catch a lot of old quote unquote like prestige shows yeah, that I hadn't yeah. seen before. I'm on my. So you're watching I'm, The Wire now? I'm actually watching The Shield right now. Oh, okay. okay. Um, but it, it's it's actually, uh, it's really good, I think, right off the bat. And that's always a pleasant surprise for me is when the first season of a show isn't mostly terrible. I usually, especially if it's a 13-episode a season as opposed to the 22 to 26 thir- that they used to be. Oh, it's right, it's right. I thought you said 13 season for a second. No, like, no, it no. It did not last that long. Time. But, you know, thir- yeah. 13 episodes, I, especially with a show like that, any of those, uh, you know, Sopranos, The Wire, any any of those shows with uh, 100 characters where I spend the first season just trying to figure out what the hell's going on, who everybody is, like yeah. learning everyone's name. Uh, I, I generally give them that first season to uh, for me to get my own bearings. And then by season Absolutely. two, you better have it all, all pulled together. You, you, well, you ha- you ha- like, and that's what I, I've always found so frustrating about, uh, at least when I was reaching maturity in the, like the early mid-2000s and watching TV. Like, that was, a good, that was a pretty good first season, but they'd cancel it. And like, no shows got time to breathe that they weren't making money. And I think about all the shows that became the most profitable, became the longest running shows, had terrible first seasons, but the nature of TV at the time was like, oh, well, let's give them a chance. Well, yeah, especially like, when you're... Like the Simpsons. Especially you're, Well, especially talking even earlier than then, you go back to the 60s and 70s, there just weren't that many things to watch. Yeah. You, you had like you know. four stations and mm-hmm. you... I mean, my dad would talk about that, like, like, yeah, we just... If the TV was on, you had to watch Welcome Back, Cotter at, at that time because it was either, either that or this show that... I don't know how could it be that much worse than Welcome Back, Cotter, but it must have been that yeah, much worse yeah. than Welcome Back, Cotter. Yeah, you're just going to flip on the TV and tune it to the best thing that happens to be on. <laughs> and you had, there's so little choice. Like, you was like, oh, man, that would drive me nuts. Like, oh, but I guess you do have the option of just turning off the television and reading a book or something like that. Or, uh, or making love to, making love to somebody. Hmm. <laughs> or, huh? Okay. All right. Uh, uh, no, I'm on board now. <laughs> We can, we can take a break and we're in my bedroom. <laughs> uh, oh, Tinsy. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, you know what? Rick let's, and Morty. Let's take, uh, let's take, let's take four. <laughs> That's all I'm going to need. Uh, and we're back. Starfleet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> finally, uh, finally, a spinoff of Star Trek Discovery is also set to be released. What? Yeah. Um, bam. That, and that's just TV and film. There's an awful lot of info and history out there on this franchise. And Gene Roddenberry seems like a pretty interesting character himself. So, if this interests you and you're not already a Trekkie, read up, fools. It's a, it's a whole wealth of... Like, if, you, if you're if you bored and you got three years to kill, get into Star Trek. Uh, or just <laughs> reading up on it. Like, hell, don't even watch it yet. So, uh, actually... History's done. We are going sure. to take a quick break. All right. Before we get into the... Oh, hitting my mic. Uh, before we get into the meat, the meat and potatoes of the interview. So we'll be right back. Boop, 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 Good break, good break. Yep, yep. so we, you all wish would have heard some Spanish flea. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so before we uh, get into some of the, the meteor questions, first thing, uh, you have not, we, we've already talked, you have not watched all of Star Trek. You have, I have not, no. So what have you consumed up to this point? So uh, I have, I've actually not seen all that much of the original series. Um, I started catching it, um, about the original series, I think I, I, I tried getting into about four years ago, maybe five, got about mm, six or seven episodes in, just sort of starting from episode one and going straight through. And 
I think I don't think they were quite ready for the hour long uh, format. Um, so it, it, it just didn't hold my attention. Uh, so I kind of abandoned it for a year or two and I picked up uh, around next generation. I watched next gen uh, all the way through, watched deep space nine all the way through. I have to date, I've seen about the first four seasons of Voyager or so. Um, I've seen most of the movies. I've seen the the original um, movies. I've seen one through four. Uh, I may have seen five and six at some point, you mm-hmm. know, as a kid or in college or something. Um, and I've definitely, I, I've seen all three of the, uh, the newer movies. Um, and I have not seen Discovery at all. I'm, I'm interested. I have... It's only been out since 2017. So like yeah. it's, it's, they just got picked up for their second season. So mm-hmm. like, um... and I figure I'll get to it at some point. I think people are starting to talk about it a little bit more. The, the handful of, uh, diehard Trekkie fans I have now are starting to recommend it. So hmm. that's always kind of nice. Jump. I do enjoy being able to catch a series as it's starting so I can be a part of that conversation with the other handful of weirdos that are uh, that are watching it live with me. Um, but there is something nice about waiting until the second or third season drops and then you've you've got a, a nice week or two worth of uh, worth of binging yeah. whenever you get the opportunity. Yeah. So so you have not seen everything um but you would you would would you still call yourself a trekkie yeah i certainly would so even though because i i have this impression of trekkies as as being encyclopedic and i know that's that's what pop culture wants me to think of trekkies as Mm -hmm. you know they they push their glasses up on their nose and say well in episode t4897 yeah uh, i I think the um the door did that didn't slide completely open or whatever i think the stereotype of a trekkie and the classic nerd stereotype have have kind of gone hand in hand oh they're the same they're the same thing yeah (laughs) like like a trekkie is just is is a, a nerd with a specialization yeah, just any anyone with a bunch of uh, uh, esoteric knowledge. That's interesting. I guess the the mm, when I think of when I think of somebody who's really into a fandom, I don't necessarily think of them having all of this uh, micro knowledge about specific episodes and all of this um, character or cast uh, or crew trivia or whatever. I, so much as I think of them just Im- fully embracing the show and just having a. Uh, a passion for characters or or uh, story arcs in general. Mm-hmm. And I I think I fall into that category. You know, I'll 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 watch a handful of episodes, and maybe it's just the style that I, I had been watching them in. You know, just watching them uh, while I'm uh, painting a room in in the apartments, uh, knocking so not six like- or seven hour uh, six or seven episodes out. Yeah, you're not you're not just sitting there glued and absorbing every single detail. It's something that mm-hmm. you can because, I mean, I think most of us anymore have to quote unquote multitask a little bit with with TV shows. It, and yeah, it's hard. I, I and I'm trying to be better about it. Um, especially the past year or so, I've I've noticed a lot of those habits in myself. I've always got another uh screen in my hand when when the tv is on (laughs) or if i'm if i've got a video game going i i always have like my ipad watching something uh to keep the other half of my brain occupied i guess it's it's nuts it's nuts how much stimulation we seem to demand now like i do the same thing i remember i remember how cool i felt when i was uh in college and i had my laptop open with uh i was playing like world of warcraft on my laptop and mm-hmm. watch and had futurama on in the background like it was I'm like this is the fucking life like this is <laughs> who could want anything more than this? oh yeah i'm in my i'm in my college dorm i'm <laughs> i'm playing starcraft on my computer and i've got old episodes of family feud on the 15 inch tv i mean god that's uh it'll never get better than this no, never no ruler or king could could uh, anyway, so um, so you, but so you're not you're you're saying that you're you know the type of person to get into the, the minutia of of because uh, that is certainly a stereotype and a, a pretty negative stereotype of, of the the like the nerd culture who who enjoy the show um, because I I mean that's the same reason I would get into Star Trek is like mm-hmm. if it has compelling characters yeah if it has decent narratives and and has an arc that is entertaining and interesting like then and it's it's just a 
TV show. Like it's, and, and, and I'll certainly look up, uh, I'll, I'll certainly seek out more information. Uh, during the break, I looked up the name of that uh, book, the, the 50 year oral history of Star Trek. It's called the 50 year mission. Uh, I highly recommend at least the first volume and a half of it. The uh, second half of the second volume uh, might be dog shit. I, who knows? Um, yeah, lost the thread. Oh, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's also a... Um, it, it is a um, pitfall of, of sort of where we are as far as how we experience television now to film too a little bit, but especially TV having entire seasons just washing uh washing over us as we're doing other things or even as we're even if we're paying full attention to them like i i do not memorize like any of of the script that comes my way it'll 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 enter one ear i'll re- i'll enjoy the hell out of it and then the next day i'll be like i i really I love the broad strokes of that episode. I love, I love that, uh, I love that character's emotional beat. But I, I'll be damned if I can, uh, if I can accurately spout back six lines from that episode. I, I've just had that problem. I think since I've gotten older, like I think that's it too. Ooh, a virus and threat protection. <laughs> you know what that means, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Ba-da-doom. Um. Because I, uh, so I watched The Simpsons a lot when I was a kid, and that stuff sticks in my brain. Oh, yeah. Like, like, Still like, got it. Like, encyclopedically. Mm-hmm. Um, but Futurama, not so, not as much. Like, I can quote yeah. it the same, but I can't, I, I can't just pull out, or, or what, and I know that it has to do with me being young and very impressionable, and I'm just absorbing all of this information, um, and you don't do that as... Uh, as quickly and as efficiently once your brain starts turning into mush, um, which it started to do once I started watching Futurama a lot more. Not blaming Futurama <laughs> for that, just, I was getting older. Yeah, I think um, as I'm getting older, I, I'm I'm learning that it's harder for me to focus on multiple things at once. So even if I'm even if I'm watching something uh, and uh, and and my my wife uh, comes into the room and has a question for me, I, like I have to pause what I'm watching now, and I I have to make it clear like I'm not. Like I'm not trying to to be a jerk. I'm not trying to make a thing out of this. Like I just I I let can't, me pause I, my program. It's just what I, do you want? It's just I I want to focus on what you're saying right now. And if there if a a script is talking to me at the same time, I'm going to absorb neither of those things. Yep. No, I, I actually I I relish in doing that because to me it it doesn't seem snarky. It's like oh wait hold on babe, I'm paying attention to just you. I'm looking you in the eye. What do you want? What do you, what do you, what's up? What's up? Talk to me. I've just noticed I, I didn't used to have to do that. And now I, I do it all the time now. And so now it, it, it's probably just, I'm noticing it. It's me being, being paranoid. Like, oh God, I do this every, every time. I, I, God, I, I must look like such an asshole for <laughs> I, some reason. I, I doubt that you look like an, I mean, I think it'd look more like an asshole. If like, yeah, uh huh. You're, you're still sitting on the TV. Like, yeah, you're good. You know, like, did you do it? Whatever. Um, no, I, th- I think it's a common courtesy to, and I think it does, it does both your loved one and the television show justice by pause, pausing the one you are allowed to pause and addressing the, the one that you, there's no remote for. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would, uh, I would maybe put it, uh, uh, slightly differently, but I think the, I think the, I think I hit the nail right on the head with that. <laughs> uh, you can't pause, right. you can't pause your wife. This ain't click. Academy Award nominated film. No, wait. Academy Award winning film click. Ew, really? Yeah, for makeup. Oh. Mm. Do you remember how adequate his fat old makeup was at that the end of the movie? That was adequate. But you know totally what? That adequate. was really, really adequate. Yeah. Academy Award worthy makeup. Good for know. them. It, yeah, it blew my mind. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, speaking of Academy Awards, uh, the, the first. They had not won any Academy Awards until the mo- until the, the reboot. Then the, their first Academy Awards are were all for technical awards. Yeah, but for they, sure, for sure. They had not won any Academy Awards until the reboot. Yeah, that that makes makes sense. sense. Sci-fi, well, sci-fi still has kind of a hard time uh, being taken seriously yeah. as as a medium, but certainly back then, it's it's a fun escape. It's not. It, it is not a serious art form. Well, unless, like unless you have things, you ha- there has to be that uh, that balance because they mentioned in the research, uh, uh, close enc- like the popularity of Close Encounters mm-hmm. and Star Wars 
not that Star Wars is like we go to it like, oh man, that's like Godfather in space. It's you know, it's it's still escapist. Um, but Close Encounters was taken very seriously as uh, a, a dramatic motion picture that also had a lot of sci-fi elements in it. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I can't recall if it won Best Picture, but it was certainly nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it was it was commercially successful and critically successful. Um, and it's things like that, and they are they are rare. E.T., another Spielberg film, but E.T. in the same yeah, ballpark as that. And, yeah, and every time you have a film like that, uh, it gets it gets seen as a little bit more uh, acceptable and respectable uh, in the eyes of, of the mainstream viewer. Yeah, um, and and also things like, I, I, not that we've talked about Lord of the Rings before, but I always, I can't help but think of like these other big franchises that when when you allow, we also I've also talked a lot about nerd culture on the show before, but when you allow these these franchises to permeate into the mainstream, it makes accepting other ones so much easier and socially acceptable. Like and and that's why I always thought the reboots for the Star Trek films seemed like they were fun, but also kind mm-hmm. of odd. Like, did we need to to water this down? Did we need to make this more palatable for people? Like, no. Well, it, we never it, we never really need these reboots, but you know we're. I know it's about, I mean, even sorry, back then. Of even, course, it's about money. Yeah, it's even ten money. years ago, we we were already kind of on the cusp of of reboot culture. Mm. Very much so. I mean, Spider Man had already been. I think by that point, it was, may have had its third film already. Oh yeah, two thousand nine. Yeah, I think the third Spider-Man film came out around then. Cause it I saw, was. I, it, yeah, it I graduated college in, in 08, yep, and, yep. and I remember a bunch of people going out to see it at midnight uh, and returning the next day uh, hungover, tired, and very disappointed. <laughs> sounds about right. Um, I mean, I, that's, the only thing that lingers from that film is the, uh, the dance sequence, which is... It's an, uh, unfortunate that that's its legacy. I don't think. I mean, I think at that point, like whatever. I mean, if that's what I remember, it's a, it's a, it was the weirdest choice any of those films had ever made, and it made it so brazenly. I'm like, hey, this at the time, I'm like, this is so stupid. But I, 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 I watched just that clip maybe like three years ago. I'm like, this is what a choice. You know what though? I'll give them credit. They Sony ended up getting themselves a Venom movie. Yeah, which did you see that? I sure did. How was it? I heard it was just another comic book film you know uh (laughs) it feels like and i'm certainly not the first to make this observation but it feels like uh an action movie out of the mid 90s oh sure like completely bonkers over the top like cgi everywhere even where it's not necessary it's not very good um the the effects um everything all of the cool action sequences take place in the dark so you can't even really see the coolest effects that are happening sounds sounds like it was cheap it is a perfect movie to take down a christmas tree to <laughs> again multitasking <huh? laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i mean it just it just feels so dang efficient though it feels like i consumed this piece of art quote quote art while I did this thing, like I, I made dinner while I watched Planet Earth. Do you separate um, your movies and shows that you watch into those kinds of, um, even if you don't explicitly place them into tiers or categories? Do you have those shows that are like, okay, this one I'm definite, I'm glued to the screen, I'm comfy, uh, I've, I've got a snack, I've got a beverage, and I am. That I'm here Ab- for the entire hour versus you're making dinner shows or you're absolutely absolutely like there's uh of course absolutely like and I, I if I'm watching it for the first time um odds are I'm gonna sit and watch it like I, it's very difficult for me to have like I couldn't have Venom on for the first time and, di- and disassemble a Christmas tree I would put on I'd put on a TV show that I've watched a hundred times mm-hmm. as background music background like background noise <laughs> yeah no I, I get you this TV show is back, background music um because because I, I guess it's i i have this weird idea of dilig- due diligence to this thing that i'm like i get i mostly because i want to have an informed opinion about it mm-hmm. afterwards i want to say like, ah, i was kind of on i remember this or that but like i and so I, that's why I, don't, I, I rarely sleep during movies i'm like I'm watching this fucking movie. Oh, sure. I, I'm going to tell you what like, I think about this movie. I want to have a conversation, good or bad, about this movie. But the second time around, you know, I could, I could have Die Hard on, die hard on in the background. Yeah, or I could sure. have 
uh, you know, gremlins or something on in the background, and it's all good. Yeah, I've got those those shows and movies too. I guess where they are taking down Christmas tree movies. There are yeah. movies where like I'm gonna have it on. I'm gonna absorb just enough of it so I can be a part of that conversation should it come up. But I'm I'm not interested enough that I'm going to devote uh, an hour and forty minutes of my life. I, solely to it. See, I guess I guess that that's not a bad idea. So I could I could probably watch some more schlocky movies while doing other things. And like, yes, I've I've gotten a feel for the film. It's like I feel it has yeah. been like like skimming a magazine. I think that's exactly <laughs> what it's like. Yeah, the, the the more interesting scenes. If uh, if something grabs your attention, you can put down the ornament and uh, and watch that scene and then and once then you, it's over and and you're bored again you can you can get back to the task I certainly think that that would help you as like well I remember these moments because they made me drop the ornament like yeah uh, and that mu- that means there was something going on so I... so yes so that's <laughs> how much Star Trek you've watched <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right um we got back yeah oh, uh so that being said, uh, what you you got into this? This is not. This is probably the most delayed late to the party. You got into this a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, as as far as I, I would consider my next gen uh, watch, my my official. Uh, I'm on board. I am. I am in the party now. And that was probably. Uh, that would have been probably age 28, 29. Okay. So, yeah, I guess maybe uh, 2015 is probably about when I started it. So that, that's still like, that's obviously in your life, assuming you don't die tomorrow, but it's late in your relative life. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and considering uh, I've met some of your friends, and like <laughs> I've met the people you hang <laughs> um, considering the company you keep, um, it, it, it's does strike me as like one, like why, why did you, why did you wait so long tins? I think, uh, it, it's weird for as much as the, as much as you, you typically think about, um, or th- thought about at least, um, people either being, uh, Star Wars fans or Star Trek fans, at least that's what I heard, uh, all through childhood and probably through college really, um, I didn't. I didn't even get to Star Wars until probably age, I don't know, thirteen or fourteen. So not terribly late to the party. But I, my parents are not sci-fi people at all. Uh-huh. Uh, are they my, movie people? Are they? They are. They're. They're. They are about as. <laughs> they're about as. They like that, movies. That size said enough. They. They are about uh, as mainstream uh, in their in their pop culture. Uh, absorption as you can get they like to go out to movies they like to watch tv um but they're they're not you know they're they're not online uh on metacritic and rotten tomatoes and stuff looking looking for what they should be watching looking for what they might have uh the best time with dear this one sounds good there's a showing in five minutes should we go out there and the new tom cruise flick is uh is going on I don't know why your dad is is John Wayne. They uh and my my dad um I think he he is always told it to me as he doesn't like sci-fi or fantasy because he doesn't like uh stuff where you make up the rules as you go along. <laughs> and I I try to tell them it's that's not a fair assessment. That like is the, not. In fact, there are a the, lot of them work too hard. Yeah. If you ask me at world building. Mm-hmm. Like Tolkien is notorious for the the minute details in the languages and in the relationships and i think honestly i think that's that is one of his most hated franchises of all uh i distinctly remember i took him for whatever reason he said yes i took him to see return of the king uh in the theaters he had not seen uh the first two films um and he (laughs) will not let the 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 eagles returning to save the day i still hear about it every third or fourth time we hang out as an example of, of why he can't stand fantasy. And the same basically applies to sci-fi. I try and push more stuff, more sci-fi on him than fantasy because um, I'm, I think I'm more of a fan in general of the type of sci-fi where you could plausibly see humanity being in the next 
50 years, 100 years, 200, stuff where you could see the connective tissue from today to the universe of the show. Well, I mean, that's the great thing about sci-fi, but I'm going to go back just a second. I want to talk about that. Um, I also don't like the Eagles saving the day. That that just, to me, that's, to me, that's just, that is a deus ex machina bullshit. I'm not a fan. You're not wrong. It is deus ex machina bullshit. But will you, does it? Does it ruin your enjoyment of the rest oh, of the movie? No, no, like, I mean, not, not necessarily, but I also expect that. Like, that's a there is a reason. There's this term for like, well, we got to end this thing somehow. So I guess there's a machine that comes from heaven that saves everybody. Yeah. You know, like there. That's why that term exists. Is like, it's the 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 the, the functionality of like the, the the artifice of film is that it's not real. And like, so you have to suspend your like. Yeah, you gotta suspend your disbelief. Like, no, I, all, I, there also aren't magic creatures, and like, so like it's, it's yeah. one of those threads you start pulling at. Like, I don't like it narratively speaking because it seems cheap. Um, but I wouldn't. I also wouldn't say that all fantasy is bad because the eagles and Lord of the Rings swoop in and save the day. Like, there's a lot of great fantasy films, and I really like the Two Towers. I think it's a a, mm-hmm. a, a, a much better film. I do have a lot of problems with the ending of. Uh, uh, Return of the King just for being so fucking drawn out. It's a bit lengthy. Um, and but, I, but I think, it, yeah, in, in general, I think it was uh, a couple of days ago, I believe it was Todd Vanderwerf of the AV Club tweeted something along the lines of uh, stories trying too hard nowadays to uh, close up all possible plot holes and loopholes yeah. and that like it's it's okay if uh if something doesn't necessarily make sense on its face if if the character if a character a uh just so happens to be at this location to meet character b um when the odds of that happening in real life would be astronomical like it's so it is okay these are these are stories these are yes. uh you know these are our our dreams our fantasies yes. and kind of made me um re-examine how i how i look at a lot of the stories that i watch because i've i've always been a little bit nitpicky about those things too but i try and not let it ruin the experience well, it, for me and that's the thing like uh we are much more educated viewers of of television and film now than we've ever been ever like it's it the art form the longer the art form exists the more we're going to learn how to, to find faults in it um and yeah i think you, you got to pick and shoot because like if, if something takes it out takes you out of it um also realize that just because you were taken out of it doesn't mean other people are going to be taken out of it like you may notice this the string of something and like you're like but it's fake but some some kids like wow that's so cool like and you gotta i don't know um realize that it, it's it's not about the string it's about the story mm-hmm. like, you're saying, like and and, and, and and ultimately if i'm finding a lot of those things that are really bugging me well maybe the story isn't necessarily for, for me exactly and and that's fine i yep. i have to be okay with that <laughs> yeah. and i as i've aged that's one of the things like i have to be i'm always trying to be better at letting people without sounding like, like an asshole giving them permission to like this thing like <laughs> yeah. yeah you can go ahead and like that movie that's fine like just not even saying anything like yeah because usually my opinions are would be unsolicited <laughs> and <laughs> unwanted and why what you know what do i get out of telling somebody that this movie they have loved for a bunch of years is dumb yeah um, I, I i struggle with that a lot with uh with recent movie you know stuff that my my friends on facebook or or hanging out or whatever we'll talk about the season of tv they just watched the movie they they just watched and i'm trying trying to figure out how to strike that balance between um being able to provide the the criticism that i feel about that thing and Mm -hmm. just letting people enjoy what they want to enjoy yep it's it's and i think i guess i also know that i have certain groups of friends certain people who like oh man when i see that my my buddy i'm like i know that i can say all of the worst things about everything to him and just get all like this negative feelings yeah. i have about this tv show off my chest and he was gonna like yeah i totally agree that show fucking sucks yeah n- know your audience yeah exactly and 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 as long as you had that outlet Hell, that's why people probably write diaries or or web blogger or start podcasts. So you can just <laughs> say how you feel about stuff. Star Trek. Too much to cover in one episode, it seems. Stay tuned next week to hear the thrilling conclusion. 